Today's passage is from Acts 18, 1 to 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Uh, good morning again, uh, church. Uh, I'm so glad you're able to come in and worship with us uh, on this long weekend. Um, I'm praying that this weekend, no matter uh, what you have on your schedule, that it will be restful. Uh, the extra day tomorrow, that maybe you get a little bit more sleep or a little bit more time to spend time with your family and friends or just, you know, just catch up on some, some rest. Uh, so it, it's really amazing that we get to continue on in this series in the book of Acts. And we started this series back in January now, so it's almost six months, and we're nearing the end as we're going to end the series uh, mid-June. mid, mid, mid June. Uh, But I do have a public service announcement, and I was thinking about it this morning. I'm like, should I say this? Does, does it really have anything to do with the sermon? I'm like, should I start off the sermon this way? But it's big news because the last movie <laughs> that came out uh, that had to do with this was back in 1986, and it's coming out this coming week. Uh, it's Top Gun Maverick, so if you didn't know it's coming out, it's coming out this week. Uh, go get your tickets. Uh, go watch it. If anyone wants to go watch it with me, uh, I'm free uh, sometime. Uh, but it's releasing this May 24th. And why I'm bringing this up is because when I was just, I found out about this, uh, Tom Cruise, who doesn't want to watch the ageless one, uh, fly another jet plane and playing volleyball on the beach. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, as, we, as I was thinking about this and just researching this, into this, another name came up, and this is a real uh, U.S. Navy uh, jet uh, fighter pilot, and her, and her name uh, is Carrie Lorenz. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of her because she's the first female F-14 Tomcat pilot. Uh, she's the first one that ever made it uh, that actually flies real planes that's, uh, that's featured in Top Gun. And she writes uh, to this day, she's retired now, but she's flown worldwide missions all across this globe, and she writes a lot now about fearless leadership, about breaking barriers, about how to cope and live life under pressure because she spends so much time, hours in, uh, in the cockpit, uh, 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 in battle. And she has this uh, book uh, that is titled The Span of Control, and in this book she talks about how she was able to reduce her anxiety when she was in a highly anxious situation uh, all the time because every time she left the 
aircraft carrier is an anxious situation. And she shared how, uh, what grounds her, that even though she's in the cockpit uh, tens of thousands of feet in the air, in those moments, she had these tips that grounded her in these anxious times. And she says this, there's three simple thoughts to keep in mind when you're in, in a highly anxious situation. She says, firstly, focus on what matters most. And before every mission, she writes out what's three things that matters on this trip, on this mission. So focus on what matters most. Secondly, formulate a flight plan for success because no fighter pilot goes off with no plan, just wandering off into the abyss. Number three is to communicate, communicate clearly, as I'm trying to communicate, communicate clearly and concisely uh, in the moment of anxiousness. So as you are anxious and as you're in a high-pressure situation, who do you need to talk to and what do they need to know and communicate that as cl clearly as possible. And as you think about that and her in being a highly anxious situation, she shares a story about how she was about to land the aircraft carrier and, and, and she missed a few times because it was dark, it was late, and, and she, her tank was going on bingo, which means it's going on empty. That if she missed this one landing, that was going to be it. Uh, she was going to crash the U.S. Navy's $45 million dollar plane. It was in this moment, how did she focus? It was these three things that grounded her. And for us here this morning, I don't think any of us here are fighter pilots. Maybe you are. <laughs> uh, but for us, I, I, when everything is changing around us, we also live in highly anxious times. Your jobs, your family, your friendships, and our culture now, we are also in a highly anxious and stressful time. How do you cope? How do you manage pressure? How do you reduce anxiety? How do you stay in focus when it matters most? Now, the Apostle Paul is in another situation where he's highly anxious. And as we read through the text here in Acts, we see him having this laser focus. And maybe we can continue to learn from uh, the text and his example here. And the big idea for us this morning is that people calling in God ultimately ground us during disruptions of life. That people calling in God ground us during disruptions, when life gets hard, life gets tough, when there's a lot going on and you're in that highly anxious time. But people calling in God, as we read in this text, ground us during these disruptions. And this is true whether you're a fighter pilot or you're a stay-at-home mom. Uh, no matter what kind of life stage you're in, this is true for us. That people calling in God ultimately ground us in highly anxious and disruptive times. And as I mentioned, we're continuing on, on the series on the book of Acts, Gospel in Motion. And we've been learning as people receive the gospel the actions that they take to push through the truth that they've learned from God, their experience in, with Jesus, they take it. It doesn't stay contained in their life, but it bursts forth and they carry it to the known world. And we've been seeing what happens when people believe in God and they're transformed by God and the gospel takes hold of their lives. And today we're going to see again the Apostle Paul uh, in, in an intense situation where he continues to face opposition, but he goes forth preaching the gospel, and this time in the city of Corinth. If you're not sure where Corinth is, is on the left side of that map, just west of Athens. That's where we are here on the map. So verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 1 starts like this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And we ought to pay attention right there already because Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians, and he spent a significant time there. And this is a key mark a keystone moment for the Apostle Paul. So he left Athens and the debate and all that was going on in that city and all the idols that he was preaching against. And he went to Corinth. And verse 2, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. 
because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So we see this unwavering heart of, of, of Paul, right? That no matter where it is that he went, he knew where he had to go. It was always first the synagogue. Uh, he knew that was his mission, that was his mandate. So he went there to preach and proclaim the gospel. But what's fascinating here in this turning point, this really keystone moment for Paul, what we read about here in the first section of this text is that God uses two refugees that God uses two refugees to change the narrative, change the story, to encourage the Apostle Paul. You think of Aquila and you think of Priscilla. They were what? They were kicked out of their country. They left Italy. Why? Because there was persecution. And the ruler, Claudius, kicked them out of the country saying, all Jews, we don't want this religion here in this country, so we're going to kick you out and you're going to leave. So they left their country to a foreign place. And in this moment, in Corinth, they're trying to figure out what to do with life, and maybe they feel like they're just surviving. They're like, God, I, th- I thought I'm following you with all my heart and my soul, but what's going on here? They feel like they're just survive- surviving. And it's fascinating here that how God, he, he starts this narrative here by using two lives that are experiencing total upheaval. That everything they knew, the comforts of their life, their family and friends, everything that they knew they had to leave, but this was just the starting point of something new and something great uh, for them. The American French, uh, Francescan priest Richard Rohr, he talks about the necessity of suffering in order for growth to happen. And it's in his book, Falling Upward. And Rohr, he sees hardship as the gift that it is, that, that hardship is actually a gift to your life. That God uses these moments as a launch pad to something great. I had a conversation with someone in our congregation this week, and this person originally is from Calgary and where his family still is, and he had to re- out, relocate here into Vancouver for his job. And he wasn't really wanting to leave because his family is back in, so every once in a while he flies back uh, to Calgary to see his family. It wasn't easy for him to leave. He didn't know what, Vancouver, what was waiting for him in Vancouver, but it is here in Vancouver that he ended up finding Christ. And that's a that, that, that's what, I was reminded of that story here uh, this week, that it was in the upheaval of his life when he's leaving everything that he thought he knew, and he's trying to figure out what's going to happen next in his life, and it is in Vancouver, right when he got off, his, got off the plane that he heard the gospel, and that he came to believe and have this faith in this Jesus. And maybe you're in a time where you're feeling disruption, you're not sure what's going on, you're highly anxious and a lot of change going on. And we're reminded here that this disruption, on one hand, it's painful, but on the other hand, this disruption was also a gift. Not only to the Apostle Paul, but also to Priscilla and to Aquila. You see, Priscilla and Aquila, they're mentioned some six times in the New Testament. Uh, And it's fascinating, too, because it's always as a couple. Uh, They seem to be going everywhere serving together. And later on in the chapter, Paul uh, later on in the chapter, Paul and Aquila and, and Priscilla, they sail off to Ephesus where they are sharing the gospel and they're preaching the gospel. And it's actually attributed to Aquila and Priscilla for the teaching and the discipling of Apollos uh, later on in chapter 18, who becomes a prominent preacher uh, in, 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 in that time. And this is also a fun fact, uh, that out of the six times, uh, most of them, Priscilla's name is mentioned first, uh, being the wife. Uh, in that day and age, usually the person that had more status 
and more weight was mentioned first. So Priscilla's name was mentioned first, meaning that she probably had more weight, <laughs> maybe had more influence uh, in that time. I want to encourage you ladies uh, in our congregation, uh, especially in our time now where, we, we, where many believe that the Bible is sexist, that the Bible doesn't support women. No, Jesus, what, the first people that know, knew the gospel, that was proclaimed the gospel to you were women in the Bible. So I want to encourage you that you have a role within the church and within the kingdom, definitely. But here, Aquila and Priscilla, they, they were truly a gift, not just to the church, but to the Apostle Paul. And we learn here that just like how a fighter pilot has three things, uh, 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 three things that ground them while they're in the cockpit or maybe while you're in an anxious time as well, that here, when we learn from the Apostle Paul, the first thing that we need, we, uh, the first thought for us this morning that grounds us is, is people. Just like the Apostle Paul, he needed someone. He was in a new town, in a new city. He didn't know what to do, but he, the first pers- uh, people they went to was Priscilla and Aquila, who shared a similar kind of lifestyle in terms of tent making, and, and that's their living. But we all also need people who make us better. We need to surround ourselves with people that make us better. And sometimes we don't only need teachers and mentors to lead us in life, but we need companions, true companions, just like Paul, Priscilla and Aquila there. There were companions to the Apostle Paul. Uh, they, we see there that they were all believers, that they were all tent makers. And Paul, he found this encouragement and this strength and this fellowship and relationship with them. That in a time of chaos, in a time of anxiety, in a time of change, we need people that ground us. We need people that speak truth into us. We need people that affirm us and encourage us to keep going. Like this is, If this is where God is leading you, I'm going to keep praying for you, keep being there for you, keep supporting you in, in whatever way I can. And so much so here that Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, they end up being really co-workers in Christ. They weren't just friends and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but they end up being co-workers and, and companions in the gospel. And we all need people in our lives. People in our lives who spur us on to be better. We need people to spur us on to, to, to be better, to be the, the, the full potential that God has called us to be. And 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 I know that in my own life, there's people that have spurred me on moments where I've become lost and I've strayed off. And they were that GPS ca- ca- uh, um, voice, right, redirecting. <laughs> they, they, they were the people that God used to lead me back into the place uh, that God has called me to be. And you're wondering why I have this plant here. Uh, it's not just for decoration. And uh, it's actually dying. Uh, <laughs> it's a plant that we have at home. They promised Jess and I. Uh, when Jess picked it up, Jess was like, hey, they said this olive tree here, this olive bush here, is really easy to maintain. Just water it once a week and leave it in the sun every once in a while. It should survive. And I'm like, it looks like it's dying. Uh, it doesn't look like, we don't have a green thumb, so if anyone have, has ideas <laughs> of how to revitalize uh, a plant like this, I would love uh, to hear your thoughts. But here's the thing. Why, why did I bring this up? It's because olive trees uh, in the me- Middle East, Mediterranean, and even today, they ap- actually grow up to 20 to 30 feet. And I was looking at this, my, my wife was like, yeah, these are going to produce olives one day. I'm like, yeah, we'll see. Like, not, you know, <laughs> our plants in our house never <laughs> make it past. But I was thinking about this plant. I'm like, there's no way. I was, I was researching it. There's no way this tree is going to grow up to 20 and 30 feet. And why is that? Well, this tree here, this plant, this olive plant here, it's constrained by the, the pot. Right? There's no way this tree is going to grow up to 30 feet because it's constrained by its environment. Uh, bad people taking care of it. That's one of them uh, that doesn't know what they're doing. But also this, this, this pot, they, it will never outgrow this pot that it's in. Not like a tree that's in the Mediterranean out in the open field that's, that's growing. 
And I was thinking about that and thinking about our own lives, that what are the pots that we're sitting in, that maybe the environments that we're in is constricting us from really growing, and people are part of that environment. Are we situating ourselves in an environment around with people that allow us to flourish, allow us to grow? Are we constrained like this olive plant here, that we're stuck in a situation and that's all we're going to be, not because that's not the potential of the plant, but because of the environment. Here, the Apostle Paul, even the great Apostle Paul, situated himself around people, people that, need, that he needed to make him grow and to become the potential that God has planted inside of his life. As the old African proverb, you might have heard this before, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, what? Go together. That here we are reminded as well, in order to stay focused during a time of anxiety and high-pressure situation, we need people around us to keep us focused. So, who are the people around you? How are you situating yourself? Or the other question there is, maybe you are also part of the, uh, not only in a relationship where you're benefiting, but you're also giving in that relationship. Like, who are the people that you're passing on the gospel to as well, that you're feeding into? And you might be thinking where I can find these kind of people. Like, Doug, I don't know where I can situate myself to grow and to flourish. And you're asking that question, which I hope you are, then you're asking the right question. Because here as a ministry, as a church, that's really what life is about. It's about us coming together to grow together. Not that we have everything figured out. I definitely don't. But we're called to be together, to be with one another so that we can help each other flourish. And if you're like, I don't know where I need to be, life group is a great place. That if you're not in a community group, in a life group, plant yourself in one. That these men and women around you will help you grow, to help you flourish. Maybe some sort of fellowship. Maybe it's a, the youth group. It's the young adults. Maybe it's the kids' ministry. Maybe you surround yourself with other parents. Right? Maybe you want to surround yourself with other solid Christians that are living in a similar life stage with you, with similar struggles. As you talk about parenting, as you talk about marriage, you talk about singlehood, as you talk about what it means to date. All these, surround yourself with people who are following and living out God's will so we can learn and to flourish with them. Because the Apostle Paul did, and it grounded him. Secondly, it's not just people that ground us, but it's also our calling. And we read this in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy, when the Calvary, so to speak, finally came <laughs> into Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. We kind of think Paul saying that in a mocking kind of way, but what's he really saying is that, hey, I've done my best here, and the responsibility is on you, that we can't force anyone to believe in Jesus. All we can do is present the gospel and to share it, but ultimately, the responsibility is on them. So verse 8, then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So not only do people ground us, but calling also grounds us. That calling gives clarity and direction in our lives. What we read here in the text in verse 6 is that Paul devoted himself exclusively. What that means is that he his life was constrained. Uh, it was, he was compelled to do something. He was fully absorbed in that one task that God has led him, has called him uh, to do. 
And it's because of Paul's calling to preach the gospel that he knew what he needed to do no matter where it is that he went to. He dedicated himself fully to that. And did you know for each and every single one of us that when we believe in Christ and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, every single one of us, we've been given a calling as well. A calling to pursue him, a calling to love God and to love people, or maybe something more specific in your life, a, a specific kind of calling. And I, I, I love this quote from Brother Andrew. He's a Dutch Christian missionary. He says this, does, God does not choose people because of their ability, but because of their availability. That God equips us. That he looks for men and women that are available for his calling. And God does the rest when we say yes to him. So don't you think that calling and ministry is only found within the church or for missionaries or for pastors or people, quote unquote, in ministry? All of us are in or have a calling as well. And it's affirmed by Tim Keller. He's an American pastor, author, and apologist. He says this, if you have a job, uh, if you're working right now, and if you're a student, whatever role and responsibility you have, I believe this fits uh, and, and is true for us here today. A job is a vocation only if, vocation is another word for calling, a job is a, a vocation or calling only if someone else calls you to do it for them rather than for yourself. And so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to do something beyond merely our own interests. Thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person. So what Tim Keller is saying is that, that when we think of work mainly just as a self-fulfillment for my own needs, for what it is that I want to do, it slowly crushes us. Maybe not today, but over time. But if we reimagine our work and our life stage, no matter what our role is right now, as a mission of service, to do something beyond our own interests, that, 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 that gives our life purpose. That when you walk into the workplace, it gives you a little bit diff a different lens. If you're feeling like God has a purpose for you and situated you in that, in that place. As you walk, it changes the way that you see yourself as you walk into that workplace, into that school, into the hospital, into your family, into your friends. No matter where it is, it changes the way that you live. So during a time when it's highly anxious and maybe you're feeling stressed, when we focus on our calling, our calling grounds us because we're reminded, right, this is what God has for me. This is what I'm doing right here and right now. So another question I have for us is what have you been set apart for? The Apostle Paul felt like he was set apart for, well, he was set apart for, for preaching and proclaiming the word. And maybe that's not you this morning. But all of us, I would argue, have a song to sing. All of us have a message to preach to the world. And for me, every single Sunday, I get an opportunity, uh, most Sundays, I get every opportunity to come and to preach. And I really think it's one of the greatest things that a man or a woman could ever have the privilege of doing. To think that God will use me as a broken human being, as an instrument, to proclaim his good news and his word, that hopefully the words that are proclaimed is changing our heart right now. I can't think of another task that's weightier for me at this moment. That every single Sunday I wake up and I'm ecstatic to come. Sometimes I'm tired still, let's be honest. But I'm ecstatic to proclaim because I don't know what God is going to do. I just have faith that he's going to do something amazing. And I, I dare to imagine that for every single one of us, we have a song to sing as well, that when you go off, and you proclaim and you share and you become a light for Jesus in your context that God is doing something amazing and beautiful in the people around you. 
that when you're in that place, that after you leave, that that place will be better off, not because you left, but because you were there, <laughs> but because you were there changing and speaking and proclaim, pro- proclaiming God's truth. And what's fascinating here is that Paul was proclaiming the word to the Jews, and they're like, yeah, 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 Paul, you know, I don't want to hear it right now. He didn't just stop right there. He just changed the context in that moment. He kept proclaiming the word. He kept proclaiming the truth of who God is. He was saying, I I proclaimed here. I'll leave it with you because it's your responsibility to believe. But I'm going to go on to the next place, which is where we read, right, in in verse uh, verse 7 onwards that, uh, Titius Justice and Crispus, the synagogue leader, they, they, they came to believe in the Lord because Paul cha- uh, changed his context and he situated himself in this new place. And maybe for some of us here, you're thinking about your calling and what God has called you to do. And I know this is a scary thought, but maybe some of you, God is calling you today that you need to resituate yourself in a place where your calling, where, where your context matches your calling so that you can be used to the maximum potential that God has for you that maybe some of us here today that are doing something that we really aren't called to do and we have a sense of what it is but we're scared to leave the security of what we know and that maybe is the shift for you this morning that you need to lay that down before god that is your burden to lay it down before him and you'd be like god i'm going to follow you i'm going to keep discerning and keep listening and follow and use the gifts and the calling that you have given us and we need to situate ourselves properly just like the Apostle Paul, and he only was able to do that because he was grounded by his calling. Do we see that? He was grounded by his calling that he could keep proclaiming the gospel. So, people ground us, calling ground us, and of course, I can't leave this out, God ultimately, who is in all things, grounds us as well. Verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Did you know that this word, maybe you've heard this before, appears 365 times in the Bible? Ironically, 365 days a year, (laughs) there's one verse for every single day. So you're feeling afraid today, there's a verse for you. You're feeling afraid tomorrow, there's another verse for you to supplement and to encourage you. The Apostle Paul was afraid, or else uh, Jesus would not have said that to him. Even the Apostle Paul was afraid. He didn't know what's going to happen to him next. He knew people were after his life. So God spoke into his life and grounded him and said, do not be afraid. And maybe you're afraid right now of what's next. You've been going... You've been afraid for a long time. You don't know what you're doing with your life. The call for us this morning is the same. Do not be afraid. Maybe your marriage is falling apart and you don't know what to do next. The same call is the same for us. Do not be afraid. You're worried about your family and the direction it's going. You're worried about your kids and their, and their, and, and their lives and the decisions that they're making. The same call to Paul is the same for us today. Do not be afraid. You're facing a terminal illness. Do not be afraid. You're about to lose your job. Do not be afraid. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know where my life is going. I'm scared that if I follow Jesus, what's going to happen to me next? The same call, do not be afraid. And there's a lot to be afraid of. 
Every single one of us, if you're human, you've been afraid before. I know I have. We fear for our future. We fear what people are going to say. We make that decision or we follow our convictions. We fear what people are going to think. But people help, people help ground us. Our calling helps ground us. But ultimately, God grounds us because our security is in Jesus. Jesus is our security, not our plans. Not what we can do best. What, not even, we can't even trust in ourselves because our body fail. Our lives fail. We make poor decisions. Jesus is ultimately that security that we're looking for. It was true back then with Paul who needed to hear it. And I think it's true for us. I believe it's true for us this morning because we need to hear that as well. There's three promises that the Apostle Paul receives from Jesus that secures him. And, and it's, I am with you, that no one will harm you, and that I have many people, so you're not alone. I have many people in the city and that you are not alone. It reminds the Apostle Paul that his security is ultimately in Christ, that Jesus has his life. I am with you. No one will harm you. Keep going. It seems like your life is in peril, and maybe it feels that way, but everything's going to be okay because you're in my hands. And I love this in the end of the text. Oh, I'm going too far ahead. At the end of the text, Paul, he stays in Corinth for a year and a half. That from that calling and from that vision, from that grounding of the people, he doesn't say, eh, that sounds nice. I'm moving out. I'm out of here. <laughs> He's like, all right, God, let's do this. He stays there for a year and a half proclaiming and teaching the word of God that there's a response to this vision. And that if you're hearing that call this morning, there's a response for you as well to stay grounded and what God is calling you to do and what God is who call, God is calling you to be. That our security is ultimately in Christ, is in Jesus. And not in our own plans, not in our own ways. Because we all know too well not to trust in ourselves because my own heart is deceitful above all things. And I've led myself to some poor and bad places. Let's think about the Apostle Paul here. And I think the big resounding question for us here is this, uh, is this this morning, that maybe we're grounding ourselves in people, we're grounding ourselves in our calling and, and in God. We know all that intellectually, but are we really living that out? Have we really taken that to heart? And the final question I want to leave with us this morning is this. Is like the Apostle Paul here, are you risking enough to actually need God's help? In your own life, in your own decisions, in the faith that you're living out, are we risking enough to actually need God? Where we pray, like, God, we need you. To, we, we, God, if you don't show up today, if you don't show up at this moment, like, this is going to go down, like, right now. Like, or do we live with that kind of attitude? Or do we live life knowing, uh, knowing uh, having, being in control of every single second of our lives? That we don't really actually need Jesus. That we plan, yes, we plan our lives. And I'm not saying throw away your agenda. Yes, we plan our lives, but sometimes we plan our lives so well that we plan Jesus out of it, that we don't actually need him in our lives. So here, the Apostle Paul says, all right, God, I don't know what's going to happen next, but Jesus, I need you. I need the Spirit to fill me. So he goes all out, and God sustains him for another year and a half in that place. And ultimately, this is true, that as we risk our lives for Jesus, Jesus risks it risked it all for us as he went on through that cross to die on the cross for me and for you so that we would have life and so much so that some aren't actually going to believe in him he even died for them so that they would have this new life 
saying that I already made the step to clear the way that only if you would believe in me, Jesus took the risk and laid it all out, revealed all the cards before anyone actually loved him. He loved us first. And that is the attitude and the call for us as well this morning. As you think about it, as you go forth from this place, you're thinking, I can't do it. And that's right, we can't. But Jesus can. And he will be there to, to ground you and to fulfill and to, to fulfill that peace and that hope and that joy and that purpose you are looking for. As I jumped ahead in the, in the slide, you saw this uh, lighthouse, and you probably was distracted already <laughs> about what that is about. This is uh, a lighthouse called La Jumont uh, in the most northwestern part of France. It's built on a rock that's about 30, uh, 300 meters off of uh, the coast there, and it's it's famous because uh, this part of the world is known for some rocky seas. And, and so in the 1900s, uh, early 1900s, 1908 or so, they built this, uh, this lighthouse in order to warn, warn sailors because there's so many shipwrecks in that place. And you can see waves like this uh, hitting up against the lighthouse uh, in this place. These are the kind of waves that, that sailors will go by. So since this uh, lighthouse has been put up, uh, countless lives and ships uh, have, have been saved. But why this, uh, not only is this iconic picture, but the most iconic picture that came to, to, uh, into being, uh, why this lighthouse became famous was because in 1921, there was a really big storm. Uh, 1920, uh, sorry, 1920, December 21st, 1989, <laughs> there was a really big storm that came about. And then there was a, uh, th- there was a, a photographer that wanted to take, this, uh, take photos of the waves like this. So he chartered a helicopter, and I guess the helicopter Pilot was crazy enough to do it <laughs> and to go off uh, into that place. Uh, but in that time, when they're taking this photo, you might not be able to see it here, but there's a lighthouse keeper named Theodore Malgorn. He was stuck in the lighthouse <laughs> at that time. And the waves were bashing the lower floor. The windows were broke off. And he heard the helicopter, and he came out. He thought, oh, rescue has come to come and to save me. But it was just a photographer taking photos which is this magnificent photo of him standing at the door and this huge wave comes over and just as the wave hits, he like closes the door and runs back in. Uh, he's like, no, this is, what is it? Well, who is that guy? He, he runs back in and his life uh, was saved. But this beautiful photo and this beautiful situation here, I think illustrates for us that what a life grounded in Jesus is like. What a life grounded in Jesus is like. Maybe the storms of life will come and you're feeling like this lighthouse is being bashed but it's situated on this bedrock that is unshakable. The storms of life are wrapping around you. Maybe the lower floors, all the furniture, the windows are blown out from the waves, but this lighthouse still stands firm. If that's you this morning, there's hope. There's peace that comes. There's a joy like no other. There's a life like no other waiting for you that even though you may feel like you're trapped in that lighthouse, being bashed by these waves, there's still life. You're still able to find rest. You're still able to know that ultimately the storm is going to pass, but Jesus is going to hold you firm until the next season, until what happens next. And I believe that through this message, through today, that some of us are going to be, that God is already going to be building you upon that solid rock here today, that your life is going to be that lighthouse. You're going to be taking on the waves. You're going to stand unshakable, not because of your own strength, but because of the bedrock of Jesus you're standing on. And then there's others that you're also going to be the lighthouse where you're going to shield people like that lighthouse keeper. 
that God is going to use you and your life to keep people around you, to strengthen them, to lead them to Jesus, and to do marvelous things for the kingdom. No matter what, there's a call for us here today, that, and a reflection piece for us. What is your life ultimately grounded on? Is it on the bedrock of Jesus? Because Jesus brings people around us, and he calls you to greater things. And God, he ultimately grounds us during the most disruptive and most terrifying waves of life so that we can stand firm and enjoy the life and follow him towards the place that he's leading us towards, which is always good. It's always beautiful, even though it might be painful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, for the goodness of your word, that you haven't forsaken us or left us, God, but you, Lord, have thought of us before we even knew you or loved you. So God, right now in this moment, I pray for all of us, Lord. Maybe feeling like our lives are on rocky ground and we're feeling anxious and we're feeling tired. Father, I pray at this moment that we put our faith in you once again and that our lives will situate on the bedrock of Jesus Christ that is unshakable. May Jesus be the cornerstone of our lives, that no matter the waves that come, the winds that come, Lord, we will stand firm until we see you again in heaven. Father, I also pray, Lord, for many of us that maybe are feeling alone, that we feel down and rejected, that no one cares about us. Father, I pray that you bring us around, bring people around us to ground us, to speak truth into us, to encourage us, to spur us on, to pray for us. Father, I pray for those of us who are seeking calling as well. That, Lord, maybe we don't know what the purpose of our lives is. We don't know what the context you called us to and are leading us to. For the Apostle Paul was preaching. And for many of us, God, there are many gifts, Lord, that are in this space. So, Father, I pray in the, in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit will reveal the gifts and the calling in each and every single one of us, that you would fan the flame and that we'll burn beautifully and brightly for you so that the world will come to know Jesus. So, Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, that you knew us and wanting us to be in a relationship with you before we even knew you. And today may be a start of something new again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.